everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Lafayette's Interfaith Podcast, Colton Corner. Uh, my name is Lisa Green. I'm the Interfaith Fellow. I'm a junior and I'm Hillel President. I'm here with the founder of Lafayette's Hillel, um, Professor Bob Wiener, um, who's also a professor of history um, for many years. And uh, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Yay. Awesome. So I didn't found it or find it. I think you found it. Um, I picked it up. Uh, there was a rabbi when I first got here named Alex Feinsilver, good scholar uh, at Temple Covenant of Peace, but he got on campus very, very infrequently. So um, when I realized there were issues on campus for Jewish students, um, totally unexpectedly, I came to Hillel services probably about three weeks into my presence on campus as a 26-year-old in 1969. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in Hogue Hall and we had a minion of five people. Jeez. So that just um, encouraged me more to know that there were issues that needed to be uh, dealt with. And so I really threw myself into it uh, and that was the last time that we did not have a minion in a number of years. And uh, we held our services in Hogue Hall probably for about 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. And if you go over there, there's an ark, there's a Torah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where we did. And in fact, Hal and Beth Rauscher, I was just mentioning, Hal and Beth met at Hillel. They met at services. I can remember when Beth walked in, saw Hal for the first time, and basically said, he's the only one tall enough here for me. He's mine. (laughs) That's it. And uh, I was best man at their wedding, and they're our dearest friends. And um, Sandy and I see them all the time. They live in Englewood. And their daughter, Leslie, uh, was a Lafayette student. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, In fact, for many, many years, they were our only large donor. The minute Hal got out of medical school uh, and began to work, he began to send us $1,500 every single year when, when the bucks were tough. Yeah. And we, we worked amazing. on shoestring. So, uh, no, that's everything, though. Yeah, well, yeah. it was a good lesson because I also saw what happened to the Jewish community of Easton and how it declined over time really? because uh, there was no endowment anywhere. Yeah. And so I realized how important it was to grind, ground it financially um, so that the continuity is clear mm-hmm. and uh, other people have to worry about not starting it but just maintaining and continuing. That's very, very important and I was lucky to be able to do that. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that's amazing, yeah. and you know it's it's so cool to think you know fifty three years later here we are. Here we are, yeah, fifty three years later. That's unbelievable. I think we had the first independently financed Hillel House at a small college mm-hmm. in the country. Really? Um, wow. I <laughs> I mean, I was earning ten thousand bucks a year as a young faculty member without a PhD at Lafayette. And I was working in the synagogue, and so I knew the people there. And there was a wonderful accountant who was president of the synagogue. 
And uh, I walked into his office one day and um, said, I have an idea. Uh, the Jewish students need a place to gather on campus. There's no real place for them. Yeah. So if we get 20 people to contribute $500 each, uh, or four people even, right. we can make this happen. Now, I didn't have $500, but I also knew in my gut that he wasn't going to want to come up with that. That's like $10,000 today. Yeah. So he said, I have a better idea, 20 people, 100 bucks each, and that's how we bought our first Hillel House, wow. 339 McCartney Street. When we started to do it, I called National Hillel, and they said, don't do it. You won't be able to maintain it. Oh. And I said, yes, we will. <laughs> you knew and it. You had we faith. did it. And I guess 1972 probably is when the Hillel House opened. Wow. Uh, four guys lived there. We broke the local law. Only three people were supposed to, but and we finally got caught. About ten, ten years later, we did. A neighbor was angry. They reported us. Then we had three. It was worth it. And it was actually kosher for many years. These wow. guys were more traditional. Huh. We had more traditional students. We even had a kosher meal plan for a while. Really? And of course, That's on crazy. Passover there was a separate kosher meal plan. Hmm. And uh, yeah. That yeah. was 1972. Well, I'd love to, wonderful. yeah, I'd love to come back and, you know, explore each iteration of it, but I want to focus on you okay. and really go back to the very beginning. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So where did you grow up? I grew up 1451 Devereux <laughs> Street, Philadelphia, <laughs> three and a half blocks from Temple Shalom. Yeah. Uh, row homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe West Philadelphia, uh, Northeast Philly, Northeast Philly. Yeah. And every time I was ready to go to a new school, they built one. Wow. So I spent one, I spent two years in an old school, then new elementary, new junior high, new high school, wonderful education in a community that, and I kid you not, was probably 49% Catholic, yeah. 49% Jewish, wow, and a couple wild. of Protestants. Maybe like three of them, yeah. Maybe three, <laughs> right. Uh, and they were very friendly? Prof- no. No? <laughs> <laughs> this is before Vatican II. Oh, gosh. So you. part of, there was no interfaith stuff in our well, community. It's funny, I always heard, my dad would say the only kids who didn't pick on him were the Catholic kids because they were being picked on as well. You know? Well, where we lived, there were no Protestants. Right, right, so right. A lot of the Catholic kids went to uh, parochial schools mm-hmm. and they were still teaching things that they no longer teach uh, about okay. the murder of Jesus right, and all that right. stuff. Going and out. so that liturgy changed after 1965 hmm. in most places yeah. uh, when the Vatican exonerated Jews from their sole responsibility <laughs> in this uh, development, right? Thank and goodness. so. That was the beginning of the ecumenical movement, mm-hmm. uh, and the be- I mean, th- it's not that there weren't some things before, yeah. but this is when it really expanded after a number of years of uh, European Jewish scholars mainly trying to work with the Vatican right. after the Holocaust mm-hmm. to get this thing started. 
Man, I had no idea. I'll look more into that. But yeah. yeah, so did that mean that your Jewish community was kind of tighter knit? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we had about 600 youngsters in our Hebrew wow. school. Wow. Um, 600. Uh, we had 100 kids in our youth group. Mm. Uh, we went to school together, but we really socialized in two different worlds. Yeah. Uh, and um, and the synagogue was my second home. Oh. So three blocks down the street, my older cousin next door started taking me to services maybe when I was seven or eight. Not your parents? Uh, no, no. <laughs> they couldn't even afford to be members. Oh, I mean, this is this okay. is early yeah. times still. I mean, right. not they could have gone anyway, but yeah. you, you know they they uh, did not. Um, but my home was traditional in the sense that my grandmother lived with us. So the home was mainly kosher for kosher part style. of my... Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and um, you know, my earliest memories are of my grandmother benching licht, lighting the yeah. Friday night candles. And my mom came from a very traditional background. Mm. My dad was totally secular. Oh, really? And the irony is... My mother's whole family had great voices. My father was tone deaf. Mm -hmm. My father was tone deaf, colorblind, absolutely photographic memory, and and a sweet, sweet guy, extremely beautiful, sweet human being. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 So did he become kind of more religious with your mom? No, but he that? never he never interfered. He was yeah. proud of everything I did. So, I mean, every Friday night, we had an open house. Every yeah. Friday night, my Anyone uncles would, would be there. My cousins would come over. Mm. Uh, in the dining room, it was a special table, special food every Friday night. Mm. So, Shabbos was Shabbos, yeah. You know, yeah. no teens, no games, no leaving the table. Right, right. You know, it, was, it was a family. It. Really family, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. are, there, are there specific things you remember growing up, like, Holidays or songs that really made you feel connected. Yeah, uh, I started Hebrew school. Again, we didn't have the money for me to go to kindergarten, so I started Hebrew school at age nine. Mm -hmm. I can remember that on the first day of Hebrew school, I came home having learned two or three songs and singing them to my mother, and she went, Ballistic. I mean, she loved it. <laughs> she adored it. And it was, you know, Shalom Chavei Rim, Chaveinu Shalom Aleichem, and what else might it have been? I don't know what the third one would have been, but um, music was my vehicle. Um, it, 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 music touched me so deeply, uh, and by age 11 or 12, I was leading services. Wow. Uh, for about a hundred kids every Shabbos, no way. with one or two teachers present, mm. and part of my job was to prepare the people who would lead it after me. Yeah. So right. before bar mitzvah, the people who were most adept uh, would lead and teach the next. Lador Lador, yeah. Lador Lador, <laughs> right? Sure. Uh, and then you'd move up the tallest and fillin. So mm. I also did that for about. Six years. Wow. Um, seven o'clock in the morning every Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. It's filling and 
than all the sandwiches you could eat and all the chocolate <laughs> milk. And, you know, that sounds pretty great. Yeah, doing the beer cut on my own with 60 kids banging on the table with the rabbi scowling at us. Stop that, stop that. <laughs> was it reformed? No, it was, it, was, it was conservative to the point that uh, there was a big discussion about whether you could drive. Really? Right. Was it so, just because the conclusion mine came to was like yeah. you can drive to synagogue, but that's it. That's it. Yeah. You could drive to synagogue. That's it. Right. But there were no women on the pulpit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, we did have women in our confirmation class, so by then right, things right. must have changed. But women did not count in a minion. In fact, really? No. No. And not in conservative Judaism. No. Women. I first saw women count in a minion. In Easton, and again about 1972, and I was mm. so proud of the community. Yeah. Um, because there were still Talmud scholars, older fellows here. Right. And I can remember the discussion and the vote, and they asked Mr. Louis Snyder uh, to to give his opinion, and he and a couple of the other guys got up and they said no. It's needed in this community, uh, and it's appropriate in this community, and we have to move on and move forward. And that just, there was a sigh of relief, because if the older folks had said, no, we don't want it, yeah. then it, they probably would not have voted it in like, over their heads. Right, They would of have waited until. Yeah, know. I mean, that is still such a thing. Right yeah. now, there's, we have an interim cancer at my conservative uh -huh. synagogue at home, yeah. And everyone is very upset about it. You know, like, right. Even now, it's just really surprising. Really? Yeah. This is a conservative synagogue? Yeah. And it's a woman? And, yeah. And they're this upset? the first time ever. And the board, you know, older members on the board are very upset. That a woman was hired as an interim congress. She's only there for a year. Wow. You know, because our cancer, who everyone loved oh. for a million years, just retired. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But they're very upset. Oh, that's a shame. They want her out of here, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> wow, that's a yeah. very traditional uh, conservative community. It's wild, that, yeah. That's probably only 10 to 15%, and only in Philly and New York and maybe one or two others. Right, right, because we're right outside of Philly. Right. Yeah. yeah, you're Philly. You're, yeah, yeah it's still basically Philly. Philly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, that's so cool. So. Yeah. So your cousin, was your cousin there, you know, the whole time you're growing up, always there for you? My or? cousin was always there doing everything wrong. <laughs> so my cousin would get kicked out at a half hour. Oh. I'm sure, and he had a very successful career as an accountant, mm -hmm. but I'm sure he was ADHD. Yeah. And um, he would take these old styrofoam yarmulkes. If you pull the top off of it that held it together and you spread it, it made a nice girdle. So, starting with Matovu, he would slowly, oh, no. slowly, 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 <laughs> and by Shochenah, page 86 in the old <laughs> prayer book, he would pull it up over his stomach. Oh, and, boy. And Principal Nushlash would say, Tchaikovsky, out! <laughs> so, his father is upstairs, very traditional, right, every dominating. single Shabbos. My cousin got kicked out. Every single time. <laughs> but he still kept going back. Oh, had to go back. Had yeah. no choice. His parents, uh, you know. Slapped yeah. him along. Oh, he had But to you there. always wanted to go with him. I always, well, yeah. he was my cousin. He was my older cousin. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved the music. So yeah. I truly, I mean, how he could go through his whole life 
in that kind of family and remember nothing is beyond that. <laughs> so was there, you know, the music really moves you. Is yes. there like a cancer or a rabbi who really oh, was there for you to sit out? Every single canner was fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. Unfortunately, they would roll over every seven, eight years. That was mm. painful. Yeah. Uh, but we had a Tzvi Aronowitz, uh, who had numerals on his arms, mm-hmm. and uh, he came from Israel. Uh, his voice was phenomenal, and he started a choir. So again, I was nine, I was in a choir. I can remember doing Zoom Gali Gali. I can remember doing uh, maybe Maya Fehayom, or Lo Yisagoyal Goy. I mean, that's the one that was, you know. So yeah, we, I, I did that all the way through, and I did it all the way through of secular school, from first grade all the way through high school. I was in, in choirs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. just love to sing. Yeah, just yeah. love it. Cuts did, my heart. Did you think about being a cantor, you know, right out of college? I thought about being a cantor or a rabbi because I went to a Hebrew college. Oh, really? Yeah, so I had my bar mitzvah. I learned it faster than anyone else. <laughs> And I yeah. actually taught half the class their bar mitzvahs. Really? So what we would do, there was a full-time bar mitzvah teacher. Mm-hmm. We had 100 bar mitzvahs a year. We had three yeah. every show. No joke, yeah. So my very closest friend and I were bar mitzvah the same day, and another youngster. Oh. So I would take them into the main sanctuary, and we would divide them up into groups, mm-hmm. maybe 10 separate groups. and. Uh, the ones who knew the particular prayers mm-hmm. would take a group of four guys, no women then, right. okay, right. No uh, and work with that group. Uh, and I would teach the I would teach the ones who were strong enough to begin become mini teachers. <laughs> and um, they, I was big enough, and I was respected enough. I had also been principal of the Hebrew school, principal, uh, president of the um, yeah, student government, whatever it was. Um, I mean, I did, I did well in school, but I really excelled in the synagogue. Um, and uh, I, they, they paid attention. I mean, no one wanted to have the real instructor, TV Goldis, come and scream at you because he would turn purple. But I did his job. I mean, I realized at some point in the middle of the year, I learned the truck just from learning the truck. And I I did his job. You know, he made the tapes, but I was in there and he might come up once or twice in an hour to see that everything was okay, but everything was okay. I never had a problem. I never had backed off from any youngster saying, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so, you don't get a bar mitzvah, fine. Yeah. Do, do, you know. Do what you want. So I went from that, and then they started me tutoring learning challenged kids. So at, wow. by 14, I was tutoring. Wow. And that was a great experience. Mm. And for whatever reason, I just knew what to do, and I would put my get arms around instinct. these kids, you know. Yeah. And I did that all the way through high school and college also. Um, and then I was also doing the TNT every Sunday morning. Had confirmation at age 16. Kept reading Torah maybe once every two months. They would have me read Torah. 
Let's and, well. and we had a Hebrew high school. Mm -hmm. And I can remember the day that my favorite teacher, who weighed about 250 and was only about five foot six, he caught me against the wall with his belly, pushed me against the wall, and he said, You've been given a scholarship to Grant's Hebrew College. Oh, wow. I don't That's want any back yeah. from you. You're gone. <laughs> right? That's it. Yeah. You know, it's before we were driving. I, I did it. My, my mother was and my father were thrilled, happy for me to do it, you know. Sure. Funny. That's my mother true. said, you'll, ne you'll never grow hungry. <laughs> it's right? true. It's true. And that was still an issue. I mean, not hungry, but uh, my parents were both sick. My father was a pen grad, manic depression, early heart attacks, gone when I was 16, oh, right? So sorry. A beautiful human being, yeah. ran track and boxed at Penn, full scholarship, you know, uh, really had a fine mind. And, and um, so we, I used to have to take two buses and a train to get to Gratz College, downtown Philadelphia, on Spruce, it's it's the oh, old sure, Zion, yeah. right? Then they moved it out. That's yeah. so funny. Oh, yeah. yeah. Out at the Spring Garden Street. <laughs> oh, in the freezing weather, we would sit That's until so... the, until that we... would have been. Was that in the sixties? Uh, that was nineteen fifty seven, fifty eight. Yeah, you might have seen my grandparents. <laughs> okay, until nineteen sixty four, when I got married, is when I stopped. So I got a Hebrew teaching certificate from Gratz. Didn't finish the bachelor's degree because we got married young. Yeah. But I did 12 credits at Gratz in addition to a full thing at Temple straight through. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved Gratz so much, I loved my classmates so much, that I turned down a scholarship from Penn so that I could continue Gratz. Wow. Because everybody who went to Penn dropped Gratz. Right. You could do Temple right. and Gratz. No, Penn's too much. Doing Penn and Gratz and teaching Hebrew on the side. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. Yeah. How did you and Sandy meet here? Um, playing cards. My oh. mother my mother, and, and her dear great aunt <laughs> were friends for 40 years. Oh, wow. I was looking for a prom date. I sure. was shown a picture. I was 17, she was 16. Wow. So we didn't go straight it. through. We broke up once. Yeah. And, and then after that, we never broke up again. Oh, yeah. you found each other again. Yeah. We, wow. Our values were so similar. Yeah. Uh, incredible. Just made just, sense. Just incredible. Yeah. 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 So then you're, through school, did your, did your faith kind of get stronger? Did that change at all? Um, no. It. Uh, and this is the irony, you, to get back to your question, did I ever think about being a rabbi or a tanner? Yeah. Yeah, uh, certainly both. Um, but my faith went by the wayside or changed. Um, in my Hebrew college, mm -hmm. while at the same time, I would say by age 18, I history was my best subject. Right. I was right. good in everything, straight honor classes, history, I was equal to the anyone in the, in the right? I just thought historically. Yeah. And I learned a lot about political philosophy and how it changed over time. Mm -hmm. In the Hebrew college, and this happened to a number of my classmates, we were taught to think analytically and textually. And at some point, I remember 
wait a minute, there's more than one author to the book of Isaiah. There may have been two, there may <laughs> yeah. have been even three. What? What's it kind up? of blew your mind. What's up? So I can remember at a retreat, I guess I was 19, um, with the college. In a discussion, I offered my opinion and I said, the Torah is the ever-changing constitution of the Jewish people. Oh, I love that, like right? a living document. It's a living document. Yeah. And it's not only the right, but the responsibility of each generation. And I was already thinking comparatively. See, chosenness didn't make any sense to me. Really? I rejected it. I really... Um, Why'd you reject it? I changed it. I added an O. Instead of C-H-O-S-E-N, mm -hmm. C-H-O-O-S-I-N-G. The Jewish people choosing to maintain their customs mm. and traditions because they gave meaning to life and made life beautiful. Wow. Okay? That's, that's so that's, that's where, when I reached that decision, I essentially became a Reconstructionist mm. before there was a rebellion. Right, before that existed, right? yeah. And I even remember the older students reading Kaplan in secret with flashlights in, mm. in the retreat. Kaplan wrote Judaism as a civilization in 1934. Mm. Uh, he had... Only daughters, so he developed the bat mitzvah ceremony. Oh, wow. He okay. taught at JTS. He was an orthodox mm. thinker who became a historical thinker. Mm. And without reading Kaplan, I reached his conclusions. Mm. And when I first read Kaplan, I was at Everything college. Clicked. Oh, wow. I said, gee whiz, he's pretty good. He's on He reached my <laughs> <Yeah>. conclusions. <laughs> And if that school had existed, I would have gone to that rabbinical school. Mm. Now, I ended up teaching there for eight years while I was teaching at Rockford. Really? Yeah. One day a at, week. Uh, right, because it's in um, Winco. Winco. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was in class at 9 o'clock in the morning. I'd go down and teach every Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm. And I don't know if the name Zalman Schachter means anything to you. Sure. That's, that's, he, I he, went to a Schachter school. Okay. Mm. He, would, he would teach before I did. Okay. Really? No, this is Schachter. Oh, Schachter. Schachter. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's so There's funny. There's a Schachter who was like Shlomo Parlach. Mm. Okay. And, you know, he would be teaching davening with incense. Mm. And I have to go into the same room and teach and the incense was still... <laughs> <laughs> In any case... Um, where I got, so I reached the conclusion I had no right to be a Shalich Tzibor. Since I could not accept the faith of my ancestors. What do you mean? The, well, the traditional Jewish view of God and personal God. Did right? you, was there a point in life where you kind of realized that that didn't connect with you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm or, 16, or you, 17, and yeah. we're discussing it with our in Hebrew college, I'm discussing it with friends, and we're reaching similar conclusions. Right. 17, 18, my father died at 16. I went to Minyan every single day. Mm -hmm. By the time the year was up, I was davening as well as the old men. Mm -hmm. But something... It didn't click. Didn't click. Something, yeah. well, it clicked. Something it clicked, else clicked. Right, something right. Else clicked. So I didn't feel I had the right to lead a community if that was my theology. Really? Right? Yeah. And, and what happened, um, it, it had no impact on my 
picking up Hillel here. Sure, sure. That was Jewish ethnicity, culture, culture yeah. tradition, history, history, yeah. and still leading, still having leading services with students, sure. but not a congregation, right? Yeah, a little more informal. Right. Yeah. We get a conservative rabbi in our shul. I'm 28 years old. Reb Chaim Richter, mm-hmm. raised totally Orthodox Chicago style, mm-hmm. classmate of Shlomo Karbach, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, first night at his table, he says to me, "I couldn't, I couldn't lead a minute of my life if I didn't have an absolute faith in God." Really? And we're sitting this close. I couldn't. You know, this is what he said. <laughs> And I said to myself, well, are we going to have an honest relationship or a fake one? Yeah, and I said, right. We're going to have an honest one. Yeah. And I said, Rabbi, I haven't had that feeling since I was 18 years old. Wow. But you did have it growing up. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah and no. They didn't mm-hmm. talk about that. Mm-hmm. They, you know, this is post Holocaust. They weren't, they weren't. They weren't picky. They, they weren't <laughs> teaching God uh, acts in history. Mm-hmm. Then the obvious question is, then what what just happened? Right. God acts in history. I mean, this is another part of my whole development. And Reb Chaim hugged me, kissed me, and gave me Shlomo Kabach records to listen to. Hmm. And then we would daven together, and he heard me davening. And he said, maybe your mind doesn't have faith, but your heart does. Really? And so what he you think said about to that? me, well, I think maybe it's true. Yeah. You know, he said to me, "You're going to lead services, and I'm going to teach you." Wow. So he taught me Yontif. About that. He yeah. taped Yontif for me. And he learned it. I learned it. I was mm-hmm. still studying it on the way down to my first cantorial rabbinic opportunity which would have been in 1975 in Florida, in Boynton Beach. And Chaim became our closest friend. Wow. He was 15 years older, but his wife was our age. We raised our children together. And we spent New Year's Eve together every single year for the last, until he passed three, four years ago. And, And in his last three months when he was only partly really here, I would call him and we would sing together. I would call him almost every night and and sing real Shlomo music. Yeah. And, and it would wake him up, he would come out of his his fog. His fog. Yeah. And I, I did his funeral. I did the I did the service. Uh, a conservative a conservative rabbi did the, the burial, but I did the, I did the service. Yeah. Did you teach at Wincote without formally like having? Well, I had a PhD. You had a PhD, but were you were you a cantor yet? Or I was a cantor, but that wouldn't have meant anything. What mattered at Wincote was um, your learning. And hmm. since I started teaching Jewish studies at Lafayette in 1972, right. I was self-taught, but I learned a lot because there wow. were no PhDs in Jewish studies. Right, it wasn't a thing yet. In that, right? I, at, when I went to Rutgers in '65, I said, "Can I take courses in the Jewish studies department?" And they said, "No, we don't recognize them. They weren't serious enough yet." Right. Right. Kind of like an elective. Yeah. Right. Now, right. Can I take Hebrew? Hebrew, yeah, but you don't need Hebrew in European history, so. 
you know, I, I was self-trained. And, and I had a second incredible breakthrough, which was I was hired here by a German-American mm -hmm. who loved Jews. Wow. I think he hired me because I was Jewish. Really? <laughs> All my colleagues were cleansing their resumes. Mm -hmm. The guys going to med school and law school who went to the Hebrew college did not include their Hebrew college really? in their applications. This is still a time of anti-Semitism. Sure, sure, even or today. perceived anti-Semitism, yeah. right? I didn't cleanse my resume, right? My middle name is Israel. It was on the top of my resume, Robert Israel Winger, Gratz Hebrew College, Hebrew teaching degree, jobs I had had. I think Al Jendabin, whose piano was in the living room. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, he became my second father. We team talked together here. He had no children. Mm -hmm. He became my second father. Mm -hmm. And in my second year here, he said, why not teach Jewish, why not teach Jewish history? Yeah. I didn't have a single graduate course in Jewish history. Huh. I taught Jewish history. But you did it. I did it. So that first, that was in the early 70s? Early 70s, first yeah. Jewish studies course at Lafayette. And that must have been some of the first Jewish studies courses it in the country. It was the first here. Well, in the country even. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. wow. small colleges, yeah. 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 We, were, we were ahead. We were Pioneering. Ahead. We were ahead with the Hillel House. We were ahead with the Jewish studies. But other schools were doing the same thing. But here I had two. Now, if I wanted to be a, a believer, I could say, you know, God sent Chaim Richter and God right. sent Al Jendabin. Right, but, but you don't. Uh, two incredible yeah. people in my life. And yeah. But you don't feel that way. I, I don't feel that way. No, I don't feel that way. I, I, I feel I was lucky as hell. Yeah. And I became central to the life of these people. And they were central to our life. Right. And my children and their children are still closest friends. I mean, they were all the same age, so right, my, my David and Saul, I mean, they're on the phone, they're closest friends, and their children are modern Orthodox. Wow. Right? Yeah, and so one is ultra-Orthodox. In fact, there's a daughter who was so Orthodox, she wouldn't allow her father to marry her. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I would consider myself, you know, the reform part of conservative. And oh, but her father was a rabbi, you're saying? Yeah. Oh, never mind. Because I was going to say, I wouldn't yeah. let my father, who isn't a rabbi, a rabbi with yeah. the Orthodox oh. <laughs> oh, wow, wow, wow. Okay. okay. Well, I'm, I'm curious, though, yeah. about this God piece. Yeah. I think this is so interesting that there's a perception that, you know, you need to be a believer to be a good Jew, but right. also the idea that. You know, so many people have spent hundreds of years questioning and right. going back and forth, these two ideas coexisting. Right. Was there ever kind of a moment where you... It was a process. It wasn't a moment. Yeah, it was a process, a and it did not stop me from praying. Sure. No, but I mean... It, and it did not stop me from centering my life on Jewish study. Right. It did not so stop the... me from going to synagogue. Right. That was all part of my cultural, ethnic background. I came to feel which Reconstructionism later develops, that Judaism is a civilization. Right. And religion is a huge part of that civilization, but so is history, sure. language, literature, ethics, Israel, peoplehood, morals, so ethics. So many components, yeah. So many components. Well, so and it, so you don't judge a Jew based on never, what they choose never. to do. In fact, you don't judge them at all. You it's hope they they'll are. find a, 
home. Right. Right? In everything. Well, so... But... So in terms of, you know, when when you pray... Right. You feel... Is where we were talking this is, about this. Yeah. Let me finish this is, with this because sure. I'm going to have to pick it up of later. Of course, of course. Okay? Yeah. Rex Shahini did the African prayer at the end of the port lock mm-hmm. um, invocation, right? Mm-hmm. And then he and I talked. Yeah. I, I pray not to something, but for something. What do you pray for? I pray for peace. I pay for health. I pay for hope. I pay for the, the capacity to, be, to have courage, to have goodness, to be better, to, to do good things. And I pray also in memory of my ancestors. I love that. I communicate with my ancestors when I pray. Right, you feel and connected. I feel connected, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Rex said as an African. Mm-hmm. He communicates with his ancestors. And I do transcend when I pray. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen me lead services. Sure. I am yeah. not on the earth. No, am, you're I'm everywhere. Born. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm born. I am born. Yeah. Because Have you always that felt like music that? lifts my soul and my spirit. Right. So high. Now, if someone else wants to say that's a godly experience, I'm not going to argue. Sure, but for you... I'm not interested in... in, Picking that apart. ...in in negating that, you know? But for you, it's about so so many other things. I am so connected. I could feel the temple's presence on the mount of... You know, I'm just... I'm in heaven. Wow. And and my goal in life Mm -hmm. has always been... And Sandy is very much the same way, which is where we're closest. To to make heaven on earth as much as we can. To make this house a place of love where everyone finds meaning. Everybody is accepted. The weaker and the poorer are the ones who have to be taken care of and loved extra, right? Somebody who is not part of the majority always has to be helped. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I, Isaiah spoke so deeply to me. When I, when I would study for my Bible tests, and you'd have to memorize everything, and I had great teachers at Gratz also. Uh, most were rabbis and also PhDs. I, I would transcend when I would study text. You know, it was a holy experience. Study yeah. is an act of prayer right. in Judaism. And so... My life has always been full of prayer. It's just a different kind of prayer. Yeah. But I that's... do, I do, I don't have to, I don't have to have a, you know, I, I haven't had any pot in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the only one I ever did it with really was a rabbi. So. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> we would drink beer, we would eat dark chocolate, <laughs> peanuts, and Chaim, Chaim liked his, he liked his stuff. Wow. Can you what a imagine? rabbi. <laughs> and he read Torah so well and oh. he davened so well. He was Beautiful. just extraordinary. Extraordinary yeah. human being. Anyway, I gotta run up on yeah, campus. Of course. Okay. We can continue. Sure. Thank um, you so much. No, but this was we'll, fantastic. We'll, we'll do another. Yeah. Okay? It's part one. Part one. I love 